0: About the coming king. And I was trying to divide it up into four clean, four clean Sundays, right? It's like if only there was something in the Bible that was cut into four parts that talked about Jesus real clear and easy. Like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? So that's what we're going to do. And we're going to go through every Sunday and we're going to talk about how each one of these guys told the story. Of the king arriving, coming, what he did, what happened, and and all of the events. It's kind of cool. So the the Advent candles represent all different things. And and, uh, throughout history, different people have ascribed different things to them. But to the Gospels, very early on in the history of the church, they ascribed symbols to the four Gospels that have kind of stuck all through church history. And the symbol for Matthew is an angel or a winged a winged man because Matthew Matthew's gospel emphasizes the the manness, the humanity of Christ. And there's some things that are going to come up today that we're going to talk about that that really show off, yes, he was a real flesh and blood man. He was a real guy. And that was the thing that Matthew really tried to convey. And it comes up in a lot of places throughout the Gospel of Matthew. So Matthew starts with a genealogy. And we're going to read it together, word by word. No, we're not. But that got your attention, didn't it? Um, it's actually a really fun video. You can look up Andrew Peterson. Sings the the uh, begats, and he puts all of the begats of Matthew to music, and it's a really fun song. And you can memorize all the Matthew chapter one. So, so we're going to skip ahead to Matthew chapter one verse seventeen. Oh wait, I got to say something about genealogy. The big deal about genealogy is that this proves the authenticity of it. You know how. Um, with the presbytery, we're supposed to take all of our paperwork and we're supposed to send it to some college and they can have it in their archives. That's all so that 300 years from now, somebody can look up and they can trace, you know, this happened here and this moved here and that moved here, so they can track these things and find a a continuous continuation of it all. That's why these guys took genealogy very seriously. They actually... um, when, when you're doing genealogy research, people will try to track down old family Bibles because the, the whole page inside that about who got married, when, and who got born when and who the parents were, that's all forms a genealogical record of who people were. So, so he presents this at the beginning because Matthew is the most Jewish of all the gospel writers. And to uh, Jewish skeptics or people trying to figure out who this Jesus is, to read this genealogy in the beginning of the scroll would be a big deal. It's a big deal for a couple reasons. There, uh, I've heard stories of rabbis that would argue with Christians and not believe stuff. And then they'd say, well, have you ever read the Gospel? And they'd say, I've read parts of it. And they'd say, well, just start at Matthew reading. And this rabbi starts reading. And he read, all he read was Matthew chapter 1. Verses 1 through 17. And that was enough. And he said, Jesus is the Messiah. This genealogy was enough to prove it to him. So, yeah, it's in here and you're like, oh my gosh, I'd rather read the book of Numbers. But it's important. And, uh, and as you look through that, if you ever want to take five months and do an awesome Bible study, look up all these people in Jesus' line and their stories. and Just that God would use them and God would work through them Is astounding. So he wraps it all up in verse 17. He sums it all up. So the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon were 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ is 14 generations. Now, How long is the generation and how big is that and how many years was it and does it match up exactly? That's not the main point. The main point is the most important things in Jewish history, the most important things, were Abraham, God's promise to Abraham, David, King David being established as king. Yes! Yes! Now, Israel is a nation with a king to rule over it. And the deportation to Babylon. This was, oh, this is God coming down on his people and and teaching them this amazing lesson. And so here you got three super important things in Jewish history. And number four is Christ being born. So he's framing this as... You thought Abraham was big? Yes. You thought King David was big? Yes. You think the deportation to Babylon and the whole book of Daniel and Nehemiah and all that business, that was a big deal? Yes. Okay, on that same level, Jesus. That's what that is saying. Whoa. So now all of a sudden, everybody's like, okay, you have my attention. What What's going to happen if it's at the same level of magnitude of an event? And then he begins. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place like this. Here's how it happened. So he's framing it in to Jewish people in their history of, man, you guys, you know when this happened and when this happened, all big deals. Okay, here's the next big deal in history to happen: the birth. Of Jesus Christ. His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together. She was found to be with a child. From the Holy Spirit. That is controversy. Right? Her husband Joseph. Being a just man. And unwilling to put her to shame. Revol- resolved to divorce her quietly. So. The way the betrothals worked. Is my parents would talk to Cindy's parents and they would arrange everything. And my dad would talk to her dad and it would be set and we would have a big party that were betrothed. Which means we're going to get married at some point. Kind of like an engagement. Kind of like announcing an engagement. But weightier. Bigger, bigger deal because the dowry has been passed, right? Her dad would have given me a whole bunch of money now that I'm going to Now that we're engaged and we wouldn't live together. We would be separate, but everybody would know we are betrothed to each other. All right. So the stakes are high. uh, There's one commentary I read that. um, Oh, well, Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, So there are four levels of Jewish punishments. You ready for this? This is not fun like an engagement four levels of punishment stoning was the worst of all worst thing that worst punishment you could go through was stoning next was burning being burned up next was being beheaded and then the least was being strangled or like hung right so those are in the order of how bad of a thing you would have to do stoning was the worst Under Jewish law at this time, if you turned up pregnant during your betrothal, right? So somehow you committed adultery in your betrothal period, you would get stoned. The worst thing there is. If you were caught in adultery, if a man was caught in adultery while he was married, he would be strangled. Which means, all barbaric, all terrible, right? It is worse, according to their laws at that time, it was worse to commit adultery during a betrothal period than to commit adultery after you're married. Isn't that wild? So, whatever stakes you thought there were of, oh my gosh, that had to be uncomfortable for Mary to... Be pregnant and not be married yet? Oh yeah, it just went through the roof. Like, it, like you know, they have different class A felony and class D felony and all that. This is the top one. To, to be To have committed adultery during your betrothal is the top offense. And so she has that. There it is. And Matthew says... Her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. Isn't that wild? Okay, just means justice. Justice means you get what you deserve. And so he is into justice, but he doesn't want to put her to shame. Because he really did love her. He really did care about her. And so his plan was to divorce her quietly. Because if word gets out that this happened, she's going to get stoned. Or if it, sometimes the Romans would step in and they wouldn't allow stoning. And the, the Jewish people technically weren't allowed to execute a death sentence on their own. Um, so like when Stephen gets stoned, that was like a little bit of an uprising, a little bit of a rebellion, them do, acting illegally with the Romans. So he's just going to kind of quietly, you know, go back to your cousin Elizabeth's house and stay there and hide out, and we're done here. And that's his plan. And that's pretty honorable. You got to kind of respect that, right? Because he doesn't even know what happened. All he knows is here she is pregnant. As he's considering these things, Behold an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Okay, before we talk about the dream, we don't have any mark of how much time went by here. We don't have any we don't have any details of um, you know the angel appears to Mary, that tells Mary you're going to have a baby. How much time passed before how long we don't know how long they had been betrothed. We don't know how long it went before Mary told Joseph or if she was showing or if he, we don't have those details. And then we don't know how much longer he had to carry that thought around uh, of the anger he went through, you know, the emotions he went through. We don't have any of that. Okay, why don't we have any of that? Ancient biographers only wrote down what they thought was important to convey the message that they wanted to convey it wasn't about getting all the facts it wasn't about getting all the data it was here's the thing I want to tell you about Jesus who I'm writing about and I'm going to include what's important for you to know about what I want you to know about him so what does he say what does Matthew say next he has this dream Joseph Son of David. We know he's the son of David because we read the genealogy. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. How about that? Take her as your wife. The thing is, the Holy Spirit was not talked of very much. The Holy Spirit was not not heavily emphasized. The only time you hear about the Holy Spirit is when a prophet is involved. Normal Jewish people, um, you know, there, there was, there was, they would light candles and that would represent God's glory and Shekinah glory and, and the glory of God. But the, the notion of the Holy Spirit doing things only happened like with Saul when the Holy Spirit came upon him and he prophesied. This is prophet level Out there, big time. So this child is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Okay, Jesus, what does that mean? Jesus means God will save. So he says, take Mary, don't be afraid. She has a child that came from the Holy Spirit. And you're going to name this kid... God will save his people because he is going to save his people from their sins. Now Matthew steps out of the story a little bit and he gives us an explanation. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So remember, these guys grew up every Saturday night hearing people read from the scroll. The best of all the scrolls was Isaiah. And so you would have heard readings from Isaiah week after week after week growing up. And so whenever somebody quoted it, you would be like, oh, that's from Isaiah. And you would think about What it says in Isaiah. So we got to go there. This is in Isaiah 7. This is what Matthew is quoting. Ahaz. Ahaz the king. And Isaiah is speaking to Ahaz the king. And there's about to be an invasion. And all of Israel is going to be hauled off to Babylon. Right? Big deal in Jewish history. And the Lord speaks to Ahaz. Ahaz. And he says, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. So the Lord says to the king, ask me for a sign to prove to you that I'm right. And it can be as a sign as deep as hell or as high as heaven. Whatever magnitude of sign you want, I want to convince you that what I'm telling you about Israel and Babylon and Assyria is true. And for one little instant, King Ahaz gets really religious. And he says, oh, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord my God to the test. Right? He's He's even quoting scripture about how religious he is. And Isaiah says, all right, Listen. I'm going to, it's too little for you to weary men to weary my God also. God told you to ask for a sign. So listen, the Lord himself is going to give you a sign. Behold, this lady is going to have a baby. It says the virgin shall conceive. We'll talk about that in a minute. She's going to have a baby and she's going to name him Emmanuel, which means God's with us he will eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse evil and choose the good. And before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and to choose the good, the land whose two kings you hate will be deserted. So now all of a sudden there's this big political play happening. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah and the king of Assyria. All this stuff is going to happen. What in the world does that mean? All right, so there's two words that could mean virgin or maiden, young lady. It's kind of like the notion that we have in our culture that if a woman is not married, but she's like 22 or 25, we might still call her a girl, even though she's full-on a grown woman. But once she's married, it's the whole, uh, when you have a wedding, you have the maid of honor, the maid of honor, or the matron of honor, right? And you only change it if that lady's married or not. So when Isaiah says, the virgin's going to be with child, he's talking about this young lady that's married, actually Isaiah's wife. She's already married to Isaiah. And they're going to have a kid. This young lady's going to have a kid. And you're going to name him Emmanuel. And before he gets to this age, all of these events are going to happen. Now, this is hundreds of years previous to Jesus being born. And it all happened and it all came true. And Isaiah had kids. Isaiah, I mean, like dad of the year here. All of his kids had humdinger names that represented what was about ready to happen to Israel. He's the guy that had the kid named God is with us Emmanuel because Israel needed to know that God was with them through the horrible stuff they were about ready to go to go through and so he'd be able to point hey guys don't remember don't forget God is with us just as sure as this kid is standing here as sure as there's a boy here God is with us not saying this is the boy this is God but saying this boy, is a symbol that God is with us. Isaiah had another kid, by the way. Malar, Haller shall baz. Oh, yeah. One of Isaiah's kids. And uh, I don't know what they called him for short. But his name meant swift to the spoil and quick to the plunder. It meant bad guys are going to come and they're going to haul everything away. How would you like to be that kid? Right? So Isaiah had kids that were named things that he could point to them to tell Israel, this is going to happen, and it's so real that it's going to happen, I named my kid this to show you. So, why in the world does Matthew quote it about Mary? Here's a real thing that's going to happen. Just as sure as Isaiah had a kid named Emmanuel, this is fulfilling it. But it's going to fulfill it In a big, crazy way, you guys. Like, Isaiah had a kid and named him Emmanuel to show that God was with us. This is the fulfillment of God actually being born and being with us. That's what's happening here. Now, Isaiah's wife, she was a young lady, a maiden, a virgin, just because she was a young lady. Mary really is a virgin. She's, she's both meanings of those words. She's a young lady, and she's not married yet. She hasn't, she hasn't been with a man. She, uh, she actually elaborates that more in Luke. Luke, who's the doctor, right, gives more details, gets a little medical, and talks about Mary. And Mary says, how can this be? I've never been with a man. So she, she kind of plays out the double meaning of those words. So all of this is to fulfill, look guys, a real thing happened in your history and now the fulfillment of it is happening. God is with us. So Joseph has that dream. Whoa, something prophetic, something of the prophets is happening with my betrothal to Mary. This kid is a really, big deal. I think some of that all had to happen with Joseph just so that he would respect Mary. You know, he could have gone on and uh, and and married her and raised that kid just, you know, like a stepson, whatever. But he, God showed him mercy and gave him this dream and helped him see angels and all this business. I think to just work with him to really grasp this is not just a step kid. This this is the son of God. This is a big deal, this guy. And so when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. It's really wild. Joseph probably hurried up the process and hurried up and married Mary. Because when it's time for the census... And they go to Bethlehem to be counted. They're being counted as part of Joseph's family. And they wouldn't do that unless they were married. Does that make sense? She wouldn't be counted as part of his family yet uh, if they're just betrothed. But now that they're married, he is part of her family or she is part of his family. And so they go back to Bethlehem to be counted in the census. So, they weren't, somewhere in here, we don't have an account of the marriage, but somewhere in here, Joseph realized, well, I'm just going to hurry up and marry her, and then this controversy of the birth will fall on me, right? He's helping bear the shame that she would go through, and so, so they are married for part of her pregnancy. Wow. Is this awesome? All of this comes when we just... Really sit and, and pray and read through it slowly. Okay. I got one more thing. So the wise men show up. What in the world? Matthew goes straight from Jesus woke from or Joseph woke from sleep as he did, the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, knew her not till she gave birth. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea is the next thing. Skips over all the events of the birth. Skips straight to the wise men. Pretty wild. Okay, this I love this I love this whole bit. Okay, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, "Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him." All right, so if you're writing to a Jewish audience and you say king of the Jews, you're you're going to shake everything, right? Because the king of the Jews is going to be like King David. He's going to be great. He's going to wipe out Rome and and we're going to have our land back. It's going to be like Nehemiah moment. We're all going to come and pray and the glory of God is going to come down and all this business, right? It's going to be super. These guys from the east saw his star and came and asked. Uh, Historically, church history thinks that, uh, and traditions thinks that there were three wise men because they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. That doesn't really make sense. Um, If my kids get G.I. Joe's, Legos, and a baseball for Christmas, it doesn't mean they only have three grandparents, right? So these guys came Their presence in Jerusalem, which was a big city at the time, shook up the whole city. The whole city was in an uproar and in excitement when these guys came to town. If you could imagine if when the circus came to town, you know, olden days kind of thing, the circus comes to town. They got the calliope playing. Everybody in the city could hear the calliope. They all come. There's lions and tigers and and bears, oh my, and all this business in in the cavalcade of the circus. And it's exciting. And the whole city turns out to see it. Or like when my grandma was a kid, there weren't airplanes. And so a barnstormer flying from town to town, flies over town, and everybody comes out of their house and out of their business, and they see this airplane. And the guy circles a couple times, and he lands out in a a barren cornfield on the edge of town, and by the time he gets out of his airplane, half the town has run out to see him because it's caused such a stir to the whole city. That's what happened when the wise men came to Jerusalem. And not only did they show up, they're saying, hey, uh, we heard that your king has been born, and we we came to worship him. What? Right? What if there's an uproar in Indianapolis? We heard that there's a new governor. What are you talking about? There wasn't even an election. And there's all these people out with signs celebrating the new governor. You know, the governor's going to be like, I didn't even know there was an election. What are you guys talking about? It was very... It was very disturbing, right? It was causing a huge uproar. And so these guys came from the east. They come into town, and you know, you're looking for the king, so let's go to the head, the king of this city, because surely the king of the Jews must have been born in his house, right? So they go to Herod, (laughs) and they say, Where? So, show us this king of the Jews that's been born. This guy killed his brother, killed his wife. This dude has so much blood on his hands. He was vicious, wicked ruler. And uh, he was the wrong guy to ask this question to. They didn't know that. He gets all upset. He calls him secretly. He calls in the priests. Who is the, who's going to be your king? Who is he? And they quote a prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Everybody knew the king of the Jews was going to come from Bethlehem, except Herod. And except, I mean, why aren't there more people in Bethlehem? That's always the question that comes up in this. Herod calls him. He finds out how old this kid's going to be, and um, you know, he he has like a genocide of everybody that age. But I want to talk about the wise men. These guys, they are exciting. And Matthew brings them up because Magi, Magi is what these guys were called, and they were in Persia. And they were astrologers, and they were fortune tellers, and they were dream interpreters. And if you had a dream and you were a king, you would call these guys to interpret your dream for you and they would tell you everything that happened. And if, and, and if your magi couldn't tell you the interpretation of your dream, you would do something drastic. Like you would say, I'm going to kill all of them. I'm going to kill all my wise men, all my counselors, if they can't tell me what my dream was. And then one of them would hear about it. And he would say, okay, tell the king that I'm going to interpret his dream and not to kill us, and I'm going to pray. And that magi would pray and go to Nebuchadnezzar and translate his dream for him. It was Daniel. So Daniel, if you follow it back, was a magi in the the Persian court. Daniel was a stargazer and dream interpreter. And he prophesied in the book of Daniel about the Messiah coming. So you take all the stuff that the Persian magi did. We don't have this this missing link document here. And then you have magi from Persia saying, we've been told about the star of the Messiah that would show when the Messiah would be born. That missing thing that we don't have, we can suspect that Daniel, told, Daniel prophesied to the astrologers in Persia about this star that would be shining when the king of the Jews was born. Isn't that wild? Hundreds of years later, they kept that, and they show up, and that's why they're here. They came because Daniel told them to hundreds of years earlier. All throughout the scripture, east, Here we are. We're on the west side. All through the scripture, east is evil. You sin when you go east. When you go east, uh, when Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Eden, which direction did they go? They went to the east side. It says, God put them out east. Whenever uh, good Jewish people are tempted by evildoers and by... uh, Uh, uncircumcised Philistines to be led astray. Where do those people come from? They come from the east. And whenever they give in to their sin, seriously, it's, I mean, it is, it's laughable. It's all through the scripture. Going east always represents sin. So, what's the big deal to a Jewish reader that these guys came from the east? Well, one, they're coming from Daniel. They're coming from the teachings of Daniel. This, not only was this prophesied by Isaiah but Daniel prophesied it to the gentiles and the gentiles came from their place of sin on the east side to Jerusalem so this is hinting at the messiah the son of god the chosen one that's coming isn't just the king of the jews because gentiles are coming to worship him this is bigger deal this is a bigger deal than abraham this is a bigger deal than the Babylonian captivity. This is a bigger deal than King David. Because now even Gentiles are coming that were taught by Daniel the Jew hundreds of years ago to worship this king. So it says, just listen to this. Uh, this is Matthew chapter two, verse, chapter two, verse ten. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. These guys had been taught by Magi Daniel long, long ago that this would happen. And now that it's happening, even the Gentiles are filled with joy to the point of disrupting a whole city by bringing all of their riches, rolling into town with all these riches and, and wealth and treasure to worship this newborn king, this this king that has been just born. They're not coming to gain land. They know that the kid's a baby and they're coming to worship him and give him all this stuff. So totally worth it. Let's pray. Lord, you are so amazing. You are so amazing that you would reach out to the Gentiles in Babylon Hundreds of years before you would even be born just to get them ready for you. You are so amazing that you would work through the life of Isaiah to try to save your people and to rescue your people and to prepare them for the ultimate salvation of the Messiah. You are so amazing how you would work all of Abraham's history and David's history and the Babylonian Exile history in to prepare the way for Jesus Christ to be born a man and to walk the earth and to save your people from their sins. Thank you, Lord. Amen.